in. Well, welcome. Glad you made it out this morning. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 this morning. We blaze through the the morning worship music, so I, I have like a ton of time to preach. It's only a quarter to... Just kidding. Yeah, amen. Thank you. <laughs> Melba and Bill and, Car- and Carol, they all, they've all heard this before, so that, now they've got to endure the long version. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 is where we're going to be at. Uh, this is my favorite, one of my favorite chapters of the New Testament. Uh, I mentioned to the folks last night that um, it's one of my favorite chapters because it speaks uh, to me and to my my history and uh, to kind of the way I'm wired and have grown up in, in religion and such. So uh, it's just very special to me. So I only hope that I convey just a small uh, portion of the meaning that Paul is packing in these in these in this chapter to us as we dig into it. So we'll go ahead and read the first 10 verses this morning. And before we get started, I do want to just mention, uh, you know, we, we have a light room this morning. And uh, more than likely, it has a lot to do with the COVID situation, the rise in numbers and stuff. And so uh, we, we just want to let you know that we are um, live streaming all of our services, both Saturday night, Sunday morning, on Facebook, on Periscope, on our, at our website on other social platforms, so hopefully you'll be able to, if you're not comfortable coming and being um, in room with uh, other people, that's a, a good place for you to, to worship with us uh, for the meantime. And then we'll also have the radio transmitter back out, and so if you desire to come and you don't really like uh, computers or don't have one, make make sure we pass this on, folks, to, to those that we know that uh, do not are not engaged in social media or on the computer, that they can come to the parking lot, they can sit in their car and listen to the radio, uh, their car radio 100.1, and be able to listen to the, to the service. And we can wave at you from afar, right? So, um, Lord willing, these, uh, with the vaccine getting ready to be deployed and stuff, we'll be over this nonsense soon. And those, I know several families there that are normally here that are not here because the you know, just out of uh, uh, deference, they just are isolating themselves because they've been exposed or, or such. So be in prayer for those that as you look around, for those that aren't here, and uh, the Lord will carry us through this. And uh, we will be able to look back on this time of history soon and go, boy, that was a, that was a nightmare, right? <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and read the first 10 verses of Galatians chapter 3. And uh, we'll ask the Lord to meet with us. The word of the Lord says this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. And you, foolish Galatians, you who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you have heard? Verse 3, are you so foolish after beginning by the Spirit? Are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing if in fact it was for nothing? So then does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you have heard? Just like Abram, Abraham, who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. You know then that 
those who have faith. These are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, verse 9 says, Those who have faith are blessed with Abraham, who had faith. Verse 10, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, because it is written, Everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Let's pray. Father God, we come before your throne of grace and mercy this morning, Lord, thankful for another opportunity to meet together, to sing songs of praise and worship to you this morning, God, for you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power, Father, for you are our eternal creator, God, and you've made a way for us to be reconciled to you through Jesus and his accomplished work, and so we come before you in his name, Father, and we ask that you would do a work, a mighty work, beginning in my heart, a mighty work in the hearts of the people that are here this morning and in the hearts of the people that are listening online this morning or might be out in the parking lot, Father. We need to hear from you, God. May this be a time that your spirit does a marvelous and mighty work in our hearts, transforming us into the image of Jesus through your power and strength because we acknowledge we cannot do it in our own. Father, we ask that you would do this that you receive glory in all that is said and done. We ask it again in Christ's precious name. Amen. All right, so we have this wonderful passage of Scripture. Last week we talked about the first two verses. Uh, Paul gives us a, or asks the, the churches in the Galatian region several questions here that we just saw and went through, and we, we kind of addressed the first two questions in verses 1 and 2 last week and we if we just we want to jot your your memory a little bit we talked about what paul asked did you receive the spirit of god by the works doing the works of the law or by believing what you have heard and we had the opportunity to go back to acts chapter 13 where paul goes into the galatian region and he preaches the gospel the good news and those that believed right we're given the Spirit of God. That is the promise given to us that by believing the gospel message and receiving it into our hearts and trusting in only that, that we are saved and the down payment of our eternal life that is to come is the immediate indwelling of the Holy Spirit within the hearts of every believer. We talked about it in our Sunday school morning, this morning, how uh, Jesus went to engage the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And the woman at the well said she was a Samaritan. And she said, you're a prophet, Jesus. Tell me, are we going to worship God in the temple in Gerizim where the Samaritans built their temple or in Jerusalem? And he says, the, the time is coming and now is where we worship God in spirit and in truth. That it won't be a geographical location. Acts that declares God dwells not in temples made with hands because now God dwells in the hearts of every believer. For those who have received Jesus and have been born again, the promise is that the Spirit of God now dwells us and we are the temple. What a great blessing. 
And he asked them, did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law? Did you do your check boxes? Did you fulfill all the laws of Moses and then receive the Spirit? Or was it by believing what you have heard? And the good news this morning, church, is that that same gospel that Paul preached back in Antioch all those thousands of years ago is the same gospel that we preach today. That by believing and receiving what Jesus has done and, and calling upon him and asking him to save you and to, to, to uh, take that penalty that you and I deserve for our sin upon himself on the cross, by, by doing that, engaging him in that personal saving manner, the promise of Scripture is that you will be saved. And if you, as you believe, you receive the Spirit just as those believers there in the Galatian region. And so that was last week's message, so I should probably stop preaching last week's message over again and get to this one this week. Verse 3, he asked some more questions. Are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? What a great question. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law? Or by believing what you heard is the first question in verse 2. Now he's asking, after beginning by the Spirit, the Spirit of God has made us alive, has made us born again. After beginning by the Spirit, right, God has made us alive unto Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, Paul would say. And, and through the Spirit's working and the proclamation of the gospel, he's made us alive and born again unto God. And his question is this, after beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? What a great question. The Spirit has made us alive as we believe and receive the gospel message. And this tendency for people, for humans, to want to add on to what Jesus has done as a means to help Jesus along by doing things of their flesh and their own righteousness. These Judaizers came in and said, yeah, you need Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. You also need to hold to the Mosaic principles of the law. You also need to hold to Mishnah. All these, th- these Judaizing principles that were changing and corrupting the gospel message that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And by believing and trusting in his accomplished work, that is the only means in which we can have salvation. And Paul is demonstrating to us that as we begin to add things of the flesh or the things of the law to what Jesus has done, we make the gospel of no effect because we're corrupting it. And so that is the context in which he's asking this this question is the basis of salvation. After beginning by the Spirit, the Spirit has made you alive. Are you now finishing by the flesh? Does God need your help to to help you along to to really make this this spiritual being born again, uh, new creature, new heart that he's given to us in salvation? Do you need to help God along in that by finishing that off in your flesh? And the answer, of course, is no. Salvation, it's a free gift. Jesus purchased it for us. We are beggars in the eyes of a holy God. We have nothing to offer him. It is the Spirit who has done this work in our hearts. If you in Christ Jesus this morning, it's because the Spirit has made you alive. And we can't finish or help God out in our salvation by the things that we do in our flesh. It is only through him. And that's the context. But 
pulling us out of the context a little bit, that's a question for all of us this morning is, are, do we like, do, these are, and I label this, the, the legalism can be dangerous or the dangers of legalism. We have a tendency to want to add to what Christ has done. At least I do. I shared with the folks last night that I had a super unnatural experience with the, with the Holy Spirit. The gospel was preached, and then the next thing you know, the only way I can describe it is I felt like the Holy Spirit spiritually body slammed me. I was just, just completely devastated and broken over my sin yet again. And to hear that all I had to do was receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, that he paid that penalty for me. When I, when I made that mental transaction in my mind and I, and I turned from doing it my own way or rejecting the things of the, that's found in the Word, and I just embraced him and believed and received him as my Savior, that peace that I felt, I still feel it today. All those years of the guilt and the shame of my sin were lifted off of me. All those years of trying to be good enough long enough in religious systems and failing over and over and over again and feeling so ashamed because I couldn't do it in my own strength and power were lifted from me. Jesus did that. It was an amazing experience. But then something happened where as I be, was born again, I began to live my Christian life out with this expectation on myself that, okay, I need to, now that I'm saved, I need to show Jesus how good of a Christian I can be. And so I reverted back to, to religious and legalistic principles of doing checkboxes. And as long as I was doing these checkboxes, even though God had saved me from and gave, gave me freedom, I, I began to say, I need to be more like Jesus. And if I do these certain things, and if, and I, if I do them long enough and good enough, then, then I'll become more spiritual and this is the legalistic tendencies that we can all fall into, that we're going to help God out. But the problem is, is as we begin to do that, as we begin to do this list of things of, okay, if I'm doing this, this, and this, and this, I'm, doing, I'm a good Christian. If we begin to do that, then we start to fail at those things. And then we start to think our relationship with God is affected by that. I'm not living up to what God has called me. That shame and that guilt again comes back. Because you're not living up to the expectation that you put on yourself. When in reality, this salvation experience, the, the, the God's plan to sanctify us, to make us more like Christ, is a work that he will do inside of us and transform us from the inside out. But that can only happen when we come to Christ and come to God in the spirit of beggars in need of his spiritual sustenance on a daily basis. And as we come to him offering nothing in our own self-righteousness again and again on a daily basis, saying, God, I need you. I need your power. I want to glorify you today, but I know I can't do it in my own strength. I need your spirit. I need to walk in your strength and power. I need to walk in the spirit. It's only when we come to him with that kind of mindset that the spirit can really begin to transform us. Because if we, the easy thing to do is to get a list of things to do and don't do. Because then we can check our boxes. But that's in turn, in reality, saying that we're helping God out and sanctify us and making us more like Jesus. And the problem is, is you begin to do those lists and check boxes of, okay, if I do this, then I, I'm good with God and we're good. 
the problem with that kind of mentality is, is that as you begin to do that and becomes habitual in your life, then you begin to look around at others and you begin to, to judge others whether or not they're holding to your standard or not. These standards that the scriptures call us to in the New Testament are there for us and for our good. Absolutely. And so the, the standards and what God has called us to, the commands that are found in the New Testament are for every Christian. And that is the, the holding one another accountable, building one another up for the things that God has given to us as a means to guide our lives in this, in this world. But to, to go beyond the Bible, the extra biblical things that you might put in your life because they help you in your walk with God shouldn't be held, you should not hold anybody else accountable to those. Sure, you can have guide rails in your life. You can abstain from doing certain things in your life that are not found in the Bible to help you in your walk with Jesus. But uh, the legalistic tendency, as we see here in the Galatian churches, is that uh, these standards rise up that are outside of the commands of Scripture, and the next thing you know, everyone's trying to hold each other accountable to these extra-biblical standards. And we begin to compare one another with whether or not we're holding up to these standards. To give you an example, after I got saved, I thought I was a pretty good Christian because I not only went to church Sunday morning, but I also went on Sunday evening. And I was super spiritual because I wore a tie on both occasions, not only on Sunday morning, but also Sunday night. And the guys that didn't wear, weren't wearing ties on Sunday night weren't quite as together as I was. My wife and my family, they were spiritual as long as they were buttoned up and everybody had really nice dresses on every morning and right looked good for the church those were the spiritual litmus tests that i had in my mind for some reason what other people thought of my family and then i would begin to judge other families if they didn't hold up to those standards you can't find those tiny type of standards in scripture those were all legalistic tendencies that i brought upon myself and upon my family my wife couldn't go to the grocery store without a dress on. What chapter and verse is that? That's what can happen, even as believers. We can hold to these legalistic tendencies. And in reality, our desire to please God should rest in just realizing this beautiful gift of salvation that he's given to us without cost and just resting in his love and his mercy and worshiping him and what he's done for us and as our love for what he's done for us begins to grow we can't help but demonstrate that in our lives and love others as he has loved us and the spirit working inside of us begins to produce the fruit of the spirit to those around us and so god has a plan for the sanctification but we have to allow him to do the work that he's promised to do in us. Salvation is through the promises of God. Sanctification is through the promises of God. Glorification is through the promises of God and not in our own strength. Not in the vain attempts of man to be religious. And so that's just a, a warning that I have to fight every day to not get in this rut of judging my spirituality and my relationship with God on how well I'm doing on a certain thing in these boxes, but yet resting 
coming to God as beggar, as a beggar, saying, God, unless you do a work in me, I'm all for naught. You must do it, God. And in doing that, we find life. In doing that, in that approach, we find the peace, the love, the joy, all those fruits of the Spirit that are demonstrated that we will see in Galatians chapter 5. Because it is not our prideful flesh that is doing it, but yet it is God doing a work within us. And that's where we as Christians need to rest. Rest in the sustenance given to us by our God and the promises he's given to us. So, moving on in verse 4. Did you experience so much for nothing? So he says, look, I saw the Spirit work in your life. You believed on the Lord Jesus. And now you're, now I'm hearing that you're just kind of rejecting that and you're, you're tooking in these false teachings of the Judaizers. Did you experience all that, that supernatural encounter with the Spirit? Uh, so much for nothing, because what you're doing by adding the law to, to what the Spirit had done in your life is you're basically rejecting what the Spirit had done in your life, if in fact if it was for nothing. These are sharp words and sharp warnings. They can't be both. They cannot be works of the law and our righteousness and a little bit of Jesus. It is either Jesus and all of Jesus, or it is in us and all of us and us doing the works of the law. It can't be both. Paul is giving that very clearly to us. Verse 5, So then, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by doing the works of the law, or is it by believing what you have heard? Again, he's repeating the same question he said in, asked in verse 2. But look, he kind of adds a little bit here. Does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by doing the works of the law, or is it by believing what you have heard? God gives us the Spirit by believing the gospel message. But look, it also says that the Spirit works miracles among us. The Spirit working among us, right, is not because we do the works of the law. It's because we are God's temple. He works among us because he, that's what he's promised to do. Let us rest in the promises of God. It's not through the works of the law. It's by believing what you have heard. And then he gives us this analogy here of Abraham, verse 6. Just like Abraham, who believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. He gives us the foundation of our salvation that is found by faith, by grace through faith alone. By believing and trusting in God's promises and not the works of the law. We know the Mosaic Covenant. We talked about it. How it's a conditional covenant. God says, if you do these things, I will bless you. If you don't do these things, I will curse you. 430 years before God gave Moses the law, the Mosaic covenant, the Ten Commandments on the stone, God promised Abraham, made another covenant with Abraham. But this covenant that he made with Abraham is not a conditional. It's an unconditional covenant. It is a covenant that requires nothing on Abraham's behalf. Only to trust and believe in what God has promised he is able to deliver. And so let's look at that, if you would. Genesis chapter 12. This is the Abrahamic covenant. God promises Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham, he promised in his promise land. God promised Abraham a land, a nation, and a people, a land, a nation, 
and the people, and we can find that in Genesis chapter 12. So we know the context of this story. Abraham's just kind of hanging out in this place called Ur. And uh, God appears to Abraham and says, I'm choosing you to, I'm calling you out, and I'm going to give you this promise here. The Lord said to Abram, before Abraham became Abraham, his name was Abram, go from your land, this land of Ur, your relatives and your father's house to the land I will show you. So he's promising them land. I will make you into a great nation. There's the promise of the nation. I will bless you and will make you, uh, your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And so we see here uh, God's promised land, people, and the nation in this promise. And then we jump to Genesis 15. There's a little more uh, interaction with the Lord and Abraham and his reconfirming. And the ceremony that God does in, in this Abrahamic covenant, we'll see here. Genesis 15, 1 through 6 says this, After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abraham said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? So God's promised him a, a land, a people, a, na a nation and a people. And Abraham's looking at his circumstances, his earthly circumstances, his wife Sarah being old and beyond being able to bear children, had been barren her entire life. And he says, I have no heirs. I don't understand how you're going to be able to do this. And that's what God likes to do, right? Puts us in a place where there's no other opportunity, no other way other than what God can do. How can this promise be fulfilled? I am childless. The heir of my house is Eleazar of, of Damascus. Verse 3, Abram continued, Look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir, right? The, the story we know that Abraham and Sarah decide to help God out and allow uh, a slave to, to uh, bear a child named Ishmael, that he would be the heir. But God says, no, I don't need your help. Verse 4, now the word of the Lord came to him. The, the one, this one will not be your heir. Instead, the one who comes from your own body will be your heir. That is his promise, that he will fulfill and then he took Abraham or Abram outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars. Have you ever tried to do that when you were a kid? Maybe we should do it as adults too, right? Try to count the stars. So many. I became part of a page, an astronomy page on one of the social media things where these guys are posting pictures of the nebulas and the galaxies and the stars. And it's just amazing what God has created demonstrates his splendor, his glory. Look at the sky and count the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. That is God's promise, was God's promise to Abram. And what was Abram's response? Even though his earthly circumstances, what was going on in his life and his, his situation with his wife, said all said no, Abraham believed the Lord. And he credited it to him 
as righteousness. Abraham believed God. And so the foundation of our salvation that we find today in the New Testament is based on this same foundation. That we believe and trust in God's promises. That through Abraham, many, like the stars in the sky, will be Abraham's children, will be children of God, will be God's glorious salvation. And we know as we're looking back on it that the God had bigger plans. It wasn't just for the Jews, but the Gentiles, for all nations. And that is why, as we'll see here, when Paul says we are Abraham's children, we're the spiritual children of this promise. And it doesn't neglect the Mosaic Law. That was a covenant that God made. This is the standard you must meet to have relationship with me. And it's the tutor to show us that we can't meet that standard. But one did. His name is Jesus. And if you're in Jesus this morning, you're in his righteousness. He fulfilled the law in every way for you so that we can be partakers of salvation through the promise given to Abraham. It's an amazing and deep and beautiful redemption story that I hope all of us in this room and those watching online or out in the parking lot are partakers of. That you can go home this evening and put your head on the pillow going, no matter what happens tomorrow, the promises of God are mine. I believe God. And by believing in him, I'm, my, the righteousness of a Christ is accredited to me. Not because of anything I've done, because it's his gift, his love gift to me. All I must do is receive it and believe it and trust in him. Just as Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. We jump to verse 17 in Genesis 15. This is the ceremony that God did for this covenant. It's just an amazing, deep and amazing passage of scripture here. Genesis 15, verse 17. When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking firepot. So uh, I'll just read. A smoking firepot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. So, so God told Abraham, go out, uh, uh, sacrifice these certain animals and, and spread them apart. And so Abraham did what God had asked him to do. And then we see here that a smoking firepot and flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. And so just before this, God says that he caused a deep sleep to come upon Abraham. Abraham wasn't involved in this ceremony. God was the one making sure Abraham knew that it was all on God. This was going to be an unconditional promise. This was God's working, not of a man's working. And this is the same imagery that we kind of see in our wedding ceremony today, right? We have the, the, the bride's family sit on one side and the groom's family sit on one side and then the bride walks down the middle. This is the imagery of a covenant being made. Tying all the way back to Genesis here. God walking down the middle of these animals. Passed between the divided animals. Verse 18, And on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, I give this land to your offspring from the brook of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River. And he goes on to list all the people that were in that land that he was going to oust and give Abraham that land. God made this promise to him. It was unconditional. 
And brothers and sisters, 2020, we are partakers of this promise given to Abraham. The foundation of our faith is not found in keeping the laws of the Mosaic law. It is found in the promise given to him. Verse 7, back in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, finishing up here. You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. In the New Testament context, all who partake and believe in the accomplished work of Jesus Christ are Abraham's spiritual children. That is the beautiful good news that we offer today. Salvation, eternal life, adoption into God's family, walking in a dark and troubled world with perfect peace and joy because of the fruit of the Spirit can all be ours because of what God has promised. He who promised is faithful. You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's son. Verse 8, Now the Scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed through you. If you're in Christ Jesus this morning, you are partakers of this promise given to Abraham. You are part of that all the nations will be blessed through you. Praise be to God. Verse 9, Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Are you believing? Do you believe in God's promises this morning? Are you trusting that in spite of what's going on in your world around you, that he who promised is faithful? Consider yourself blessed to have that relationship and that no matter what happens in this life, eternal life is promised to you through what Christ has done. Is that you this morning? If it's not, I, I beg you, come to Jesus. Turn to him. Call out to him. He will save you. He desires to give you this gift of eternal life by believing and trusting in his accomplished work. And you can be as Abraham and consider yourself blessed to be a child of God, to have a promise of eternal life that is to come. Well, there'll be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death. That is the promise given to us. Verse 10 is in the negative slant. He again reminds us we cannot rely on the works of the law to have a, a relationship with God. It is by believing and trusting in his accomplished work and not mixing in the righteousness that we have in our own selves. Because Paul says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. If you desire to have relationship with God through the law by keeping the works of the law, this is your future. You will be cursed. Revelation chapter 20 paints this picture of this coming judgment, the great white throne judgment, and all those who are not written in the Lamb's book of the life, who are not covered under the blood of Jesus, will be judged according to the works, and that judgment will be eternal damnation. In eternity, apart from the grace and the mercy of God, 
I beg you, do not think you're going to be able to justify your good works in the eyes of a holy God. It is only through Christ, believing and trusting in his accomplished work, that you can have his righteousness placed on your account, that you be, can be partakers of the promise given to Abraham. And I stand up here some 12 years later after encountering Jesus in a personal salvific manner, testifying to you that he who promised is faithful and he will save you. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We're thankful for this gift of salvation that you've given us in Christ Jesus. Lord, I just pray, Father, that you would uh, help us to just relish in the, the good news that you've given us, that Jesus has done it all, that you've given us the spirit that desires to do a work of salvation, or sorry, a sanctification, Lord, to make us more like Jesus. And God, my prayer is that, beginning with me, that you'd help me to, to not step out of my flesh to be more like you, but that I would yield to the power of your spirit, that you would change me from the inside out, God, as I look to you, as I walk with you, as I abide with you. Father, that's my prayer for me, and it's also the prayer for those who are in this building, that that would be a reality in their lives as well, that they would reject their own self-righteousness, their legalistic tendencies, and trust in the accomplished work in Christ alone and allow the spirit to do a work wherever they're at that they would just lean into you and trust into you, Father, that you would be glorified in that, that your name, the name of your Son would be made known to those around us, Lord, that others may come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Father, would you use us, please, to proclaim the good news that anyone who turns and believes and trusts in Christ alone can be benefactors of the promise you gave to Abraham all those thousands of years ago. That through your work, your unconditional covenant, Father, you've made a way for us to have relationship with you. There's many, Father, that are running across my mind right now who my heart breaks for that do not and have not experienced you in that way. God, please save them. God, if it be your will, Lord, would you use us to be your ambassadors. If it's not us, Lord, please send someone. Glorify your name, God, in the saving of sinners so they too can say, he who promised is faithful. Brother Jim, this is a song of invitation. This is a time for you to go to the Lord.